You're listening to a 7th edition Call of Cthulhu podcast titled Cthulhu in Cairo, brought to you by the Bardic College. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to the show to receive notifications as our future episodes release. You can visit us on Facebook at the Bardic College. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back, friends, to another episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. I am Raz, and I am joined by the entire team. And you know that the opening sounds very similar in my cadence and delivery when people bob their heads like Muppets to it on my camera as I'm watching. So that's what my cast was doing as they were doing it, as I was giving you that intro. So shame on them. And now they must die. The When we last, when we last were together... Uh, wait, we had... <laughs> wait, mercy. I do it every week. It's my thing. Okay, well, they there you go. They try to kill me. I'm unkillable. <laughs> Faye, no. <laughs> I have no You already excuse. killed me, son. I ain't afraid of you. <laughs> and it continues. The last time we left them, though, we did have a very heavy moment with uh, Vadim making a choice. His friends helping him through that path. But in the end, it was really Vadim, uh, Vadim's choice in its own that to uh, to give Oslin rest uh, and not leave him in the clutches of whatever that thing was uh, that was a guardian or gateway or a, or a servant to the great Shikotl, the this god of chaos and destruction that basically you know dropped their plane down the team lost 80 hours of memory all kinds of things have happened since their arrival in africa but they do know that one of the nearest next item of power that they want to go after is this the stone the dreaming stone that is supposedly in australia so they have been making preparations off mic to get ready to do that so we'll, we have they're going to go by boat we'll get into that in a moment right now it's several days since the incident uh with sectu in the hut uh Oslin has been laid to rest. His physical body has been has been laid to rest, and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna start this and kind of start with Vadim. Get a little bit of an idea of where Vadim is right now and how he's feeling and what his you know does has it changed his perspective to the team. Um, kind of go over that a little bit and and then start dealing with the last minute things at Kubawazi as the team packs up to leave. So uh, Vadim, yeah, uh, keeper, hell of a hell of an evening. That was yeah. that was heavy, yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was something else. I, 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 I hope I played Vodum to uh, to uh, you know to true to true to who what he would what he would do who he was and what he would do. Um, Vodum is uh, he is just sullen, um, off on his own, deep in thought, trying to give as much attention as he can to Anna, uh-huh. um, but feeling like he's coming up short. And uh, I I think he's kind of building the singular focus in him of you know, just dedication to the mission and stopping this thing that took his son. He doesn't see that he made a decision. He just, he sees that this thing killed his son. It's right. just that simple. Yeah. Yeah. And he's feeling a little neutered, you know, he, he's, he's used to dealing with guile and violence uh, when needed, but he kind of feels like this is maybe outside of that realm. So he's, he's confident, but he's not really sure what he's going to be able to do. So one of the things I wanted to touch base on with, with everybody after this, this event, and we'll start with Adam because Adam is the one who was affected, obviously the, the heaviest with it is we don't always talk about religion in a modern society. People today, there are, listen, there are still people out there that are very, very connected to their, their faith connected to their, you know, their, their religion. I'm not talking about zealots. I mean, people that literally, you know, need live and, 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 and embrace for all the positive reasons, faith, 
But I, you know, when we did Vodham solo adventure and everything and blessed by the priest, we know the babies and in the line that, that day with his wife, tell me about Vodham's faith a little bit. What Vodham, I'm not talking about how was Vodham's faith prior to this event and has it shifted him? Does he now see something that does he believe that the greater evil is, a, is an evil of a Christian evil? Does he think this is something that, does he just think this is like extraterrestrial and he doesn't, it's, he doesn't put this into the faith line or is he, has he been shattered? Is it just like there's, there's evil out there and there's, we just have to fight it. Um, I don't, you know, Christian faith, uh, you know, Orthodox faith would, would have been right, prominent right. In, in Russian culture. But, you know, those things, when you when you start kind of getting out into the sticks of uh, different areas where where maybe there's a lot of uh, tribal customs and, you know, Vodum, Vodum grew up in the Russian countryside, deep in the countryside, mm-hmm. the, the Volga River Valley area, right? Right. Um, where there would have been, you know, older, more tribal and and cultural customs and uh, and spiritualness that would have passed down through families, which he definitely experienced with his grandmother and his mother. You know that that's kind of woven in to to uh, the you know the more Western faith that's been adopted. So you know he um, has experienced things through his family that he um, never really could fully explain. Um, he definitely is not a, you know, an atheist or an agnostic in that sense. He, he accepts that there is something out there. And through these things, I think that's only been, that's only been cemented in his mind. So I don't even think he's seeing these things as like beings from another realm. I okay. think he's seeing these things as, as uh, more of a spiritual nature. Okay. All right. Is he connecting some of this to the boogeymen of the past? The, the old, the, like you said, the spirits of, spirits. of the old Russia, the old land. Superstitions, okay. yeah, the superstitions, yeah. So. Superstitions. All right. Interesting. That his grandmother warned him of, you know, he, right. he, he, those things are what's coming to mind for him. Uh, I think this is very internalized. This is nothing that he would be expressing or sharing. Yeah, gotcha. All right, uh, Faye, let's talk about, as an archaeologist, I mean, a lot of this ties. Cairo, I mean, that's the whole show is entitled with with Cairo and Egypt and connecting it back to episode four or five at, you know, um, Percival Reese's house when the the you know they were trying to do that fake ritual that ritual that was all interrupted and you know they were they they were way ahead of the curve on you know looking at what these items were thinking they had opportunities but in actuality they didn't know the whole they didn't translate the prophecy properly so Egypt has been a big part of this and as an archaeologist you're seeing a lot of symbolism right in in these attacks and when the big bads come out they seem to have a lot of ties to Pentweir this this whole thing is this re- it, as an archaeologist Modern faith versus the pagan pantheons of Egypt. Do, are is Faye being pulled more in that direction? How does how is she stacking this up? So I've always said because Faye Faye grew up religious, but then once her mother passed away, it was very much a you know you lose someone and you kind of have I wouldn't say like you know a crisis of faith, but you start questioning. So. You know, it's I I would say she stopped going to church like her father didn't really push her. And we know why now. Um, but Faye just I don't think that she's really just trying to think too much into it personally because of all the connections with what her father's done and then everything that's happened with her mother. I think that she's just kind of only looking at it from, you know, the point of view of like an archaeologist. It's like this is a puzzle to figure out. Like these are symbols. I'm putting them together. Um She's not thinking about it, how it just ties into her. Okay. That makes sense. No, absolutely. 
to your point, losing so, right faith can be questioned for the loss of somebody close, right? A mother or father, a child. But to some people, it drives them to faith. Now they need to grasp onto something to hold onto as a, as like an anchor to say, okay, I don't know why this happened, but I'm hoping that there's an, a beyond so I can get to that person and see them again. Or they're trying to dial into an ideal that they can understand. And I was just wondering where Faye sits with that ideal because a lot of what she, like you said, a lot of what she's seeing not only is personal because of Richard Dawson and the, the, the unfortunate events that happened, you know, prior to Faye's birth and then, you know, things that happened through to her mother. I was just wondering how if if you see if you see Faye or Faye sees herself as this spiritual creature or religious creature that is fighting evil and the evil is from the old gods of Egypt. I didn't know if you were making that that paradox connection or if this was just they're bad things. It's it's part of you know this is what happened and shit that kind of you know yeah, that reaction. It's, I think as far as she's concerned, it's because she's not a particularly religious person. She's like, okay, it's, I've seen physical stuff. There's bad stuff going on. I need to do something about it. And that's sort of where she's at with it. Okay. Um, Ella, what about you? Um, you have the deepest ties to the occult uh, in the team. John Schooley had some experiences that were building for him. We know John is still out there somewhere uh, dealing with what he can in his way. But you've actually been and seen these things prior to arriving with the team. You also infiltrated and practiced some of this type of magic that leads to a darker reality, right? A darker, the remnants of an old way is really what it was, right? This, this hermetic style of, of, of casting and magic, plus your own gifts and clairvoyance are, you know, modern day type of magic itself in a, in a way, the, the, the mental, the mentalism. How are you seeing Ella in all of this? Is, does this, is this pushing her to be more fanatical, more, you know, is she looking for more, is she looking for a spiritual outlet or is she just like, I already knew they were out here. This doesn't shake me. We got to kill it. I guess that is more of the latter. Like you said, like she understands that there are far more powerful beings in this world, forces beyond our ken, so to speak. And this creature just happens to be the next in line to start mayhem. And it's the one that a certain group of people she knows are dangerous want to play with and that's not okay that's why she's a part of this team she feels vindicated mm-hmm. in that you realize that this thing has now killed a child you realize that this thing has manipulated us our memories our very souls everything understand that this fight is not one we can just win by guns and grit this is a we need more spiritual stuff so she's probably going to become more fanatic in that way of like, oh, we need to like get on top of our spiritual side, pre- prepare mentally and spiritually for what's coming. Because if we're broken by the end, we can't defeat it. Hmm. I, and very good points. The It'll be interesting to see where, as Ella, you try to find those allies. Because right now, the entities that are you're dealing with have all been enemies. You really haven't tried to ask to go on. What you've had all this point was the Eye of Aramon, right? This this kind of blessing, this pulpy sort of get out of jail free card that we've used, and we've always said that it had because these guys were meant to be together, and fate had sort of thrust them together. There was this overarching spiritual sort of protection that they had whenever they needed that one thing, they could pull on it. But those are gone. So now the team is going to need to be looking for 
with the exception, I'm sorry, of Jack. But those, but now that they're gone, that's going to be a real a real loss for them as they go forward. And it's going to be interesting to see what you're able to do and what the team is able to deal with as far as coming up maybe with an ally that is of a spiritual nature that's a positive force, right? Something that could help or guide. And we'll see where you take that. That's 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 a great thought. Uh, Catherine, we'll start with Jack because he's the uh, the actual host here at Kubawazi. Catherine, you're you know this team doesn't seem didn't when we put it together these kind of individuals for their era were always ahead of their time, right? They're they're pulp characters, so we know that they're really good at multiple things. They're a little hardier, stronger, tougher. Um, they're not the average Joe that's just going to collapse in a pile. They're going to fight forward. But Catherine's had a lot of of, of moments. A lot of shocking moments as well. Yeah. Any does Kat, was Catherine first of all raised to see as Christian ideal? Did especially during the war? Did 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 she did that give her strength? And now is it questioned, or are you are you wishing you had that faith through some of this to kind of help alleviate the the beatings because the beatings have been in since you know pretty tough, right? The the easiest way for me to explain Catherine's relationship with spirituality is hey um my lord if you're out there uh what the hell like why why right. me why like this is ridiculous like one person shouldn't have to take this much evil if you and like keep going like what what mm-hmm. are you trying to prove here so the war really because of Catherine's like bisected childhood like between the two houses spirituality and like religion wasn't something that you know was thrust upon her too much yes she went to posh british boarding school in her teens but nothing ever stuck Mm -hmm. you know and in the war she saw strength and determination of the human spirit that is what you know helps people a person's inner strength the skill and intelligence and the mental fortitude to you know, be brave and like go into the trenches or to keep calm and save somebody. And now she can rely on her comrades and take on from their strength and give her strength to them much more than she would ever think to, you know, look up to some big bearded guy in the sky and go, Hey, help me out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Catherine also saw 17 year old boys, you know, crying for their parents. Exactly. So, so I, you know, I, I see the, you know, you can see the juxtaposition there, but drawing on the strength of those moments, you know, or the fact that you survive them and you, you're able to get through them and help a lot of people. I could see that being, you know, so, something that would be a, a, a strength or a, an anchoring point for you, like going forward, like I can get through this. We can get through this. You know, we have a team. We're strong. You know, we've, we've endured yeah. so far we can make it. So, Okay. Um, Jack, what about you? You were out in the, you're out in the middle of Africa. So any type of religion that you would have dealt with Anglican in, in, in England at the time when you were growing up, right? Turn of the century coming forward still had a, 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 a part in someone's life every Sunday, right? It was still very much, most people went to church. Um, but you're out in the middle of the, of, of the Savannah, you know, the Velt. you don't really, you didn't have that kind of guidance and, and, and spirituality growing up. Or did you? Did, was your father somebody who made sure that you read your Bible every Sunday for an hour and slapped your head if you didn't? I mean, what was how was Jack and does Jack pulling on to that now? Is he is he anchoring through that religion or is he sort of just been it does does everything he sees just break it like Christianity is, is a bunch of malarkey because look at what we just saw. You know, that's not in the Bible. It doesn't work. Um, no, Jack. Uh 
so Jack's mother, uh, I guess, abandoned them or, or whatever when, when they were very young. He was born in England, but then moved to Africa. So really doesn't have, when he was very small, so doesn't really have any memories of, of uh, England at all. And um, his mother left while he was still bottle feeding, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Mama Kenda was his wet nurse. And that's how right. he and uh, Kaki Yangu ba- were basically the same age. They were raised, they're raised as, as siblings. So, uh, and no, his father was, his father was not religious whatsoever. So I, I, Jack took on the religion of the Miikenda people. And he's very much steeped in their religion and believes in their religion. And I think the only pain point for Jack becomes you can be as invested in another culture as possible. But if you are not actually from that culture, there's always a piece of you that is foreign to it. So I think that, and we've seen this already with Jack, where Jack is invested in the culture, but he chafes when it affects him in ways he doesn't like, you know, he's very British uh, from his father in the sense that, you know, he doesn't go around things. He doesn't back away from things. He, he pushes through things all the way through this force of will. And he's locked into the sense of force of will. And uh, that doesn't really jive too well with the many over the one theory of uh, the me Kendas. So I think he chafes at that, but he very much believes in the supernatural he very much believes in um, in their spirituality. So I, I think in some ways, some of the craziness that they've encountered, Jack might be slightly more okay with because he was raised that the world is a mysterious and magical place where crazy things can happen. And he did have experiences as a teenager with a tribe of essentially netherworldly uh, natives that went back and forth between another plane and this plane. So from very early on, he has, and of course, folks, you can check that out in his solo adventure on our Patreon page. Yes. But um, so I, th- I think that his experiences are very different than everybody else in the group in that he was never part of like a formalized religion other than this tribal religion. Right. So that and that one of the reasons I brought up the, the Christianity part was because like you have played Jack where there's moments where he understands the tribe's position and he right. like he even brings Vadim yeah. there for help. Right. They might be able to help you, Vadim. They're, like you see that part of Jack, like he wants to embrace the culture. He thinks right. that the culture. Right. But there he's also stands back and goes, how did you know? Wait a minute. You know, right. it's tea time. Well, you know, yeah. And some of that is because, right, he is he's an upper crust. He was raised very privileged and. Yeah. As many of them were, he really doesn't understand what that means. Really doesn't understand the difference between, let's say, how he was raised and how Faye was raised, or Catherine, or or Vadim, who was raised in in a very very different set of circumstances than he was. Yeah, very wrong. Yeah. But, but I think that those things definitely affect how he perceives the world, and in many cases, how this religion affects him. So that, you know, if it doesn't affect him in the way that he wants it, that's not quite cricket. You know, we we can't have that. That's, you can't do that to me. Don't you understand who I am? That kind of thing. That sort of privilege. Okay. Well, Vadim, so let's get into what, uh, thank you players for explaining that to the listeners. I think it's important. Um, We don't do insanity here like a lot of other Cthulhu shows or Cthulhu adventures that are smaller because during that period, you'll have, 
things that occur and the GM says, okay, you have this or you'll pull an insanity card from a deck or whatever it is. And here I we've always allowed the players to say, I'm not ready for that. I'm panicking. I'm not doing it. And I wanted to let people know that that for us, because of the lo- the, the larger scope, it's not that we're not tracking sanity. We know we, we slowly lose it here and there. But these character these players have been so good at basically telling me when they're freaked out. They don't need me to I don't need to tell them when their characters are freaked. They'll let me know when they're when that's happening. And I think that's that's a brilliant part to this in in and I'm not saying that listen, other shows do it their own way and I think that's great. But as listeners, I want you to understand where they are as opposed to the forces around them. How are they seeing those forces? From Vadim's experience all the way down to Jack's. It's a little different, but you're hearing you're hearing that they, they believe they're strong and that they, you know, in some ways that they can best this. So I think that's really good. So just wanted to kind of put that out there. It's not in story so much, but it gives you a little bit more understanding of the narrative and where the characters come from. So players, thank you. That was awesome. So Vadim, yeah, Anna is, you know, she's been quiet. She's, uh, she's been very, very clingy to Paulina, which makes perfect sense. Um, she, Paulina has been nothing but absolutely brilliant with her. The, knowing when to give a little bit more tough love when to not do that like she has that that concept of you know I, hey you know this is not the time to cry this is the time to your father needs you right now stand by your father you know it's okay and then she has those moments where okay child it's okay to let's let it out like talk to me tell me what's going on so that 1930s pragmatism especially in russia right where yeah. life is every day you wake up and you're going okay it's this is it's a good day. I'm alive. Like we're, 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 we're working, but she's also Westernized enough where she realizes that the child needs some stability right now. And she's, you know, she's just making sure like Paulina has approached you over the last several days and just made like, you know, are, is, are you staying? Is she staying? And you've kind of worked out those, the, the, those conversations. And in the end, Vadim's Vadim is planning on leaving her here, right. With the rest of the Kubawazi staff, Paulina and um, Lakshiva and Anya, right? That was the plan? It's the only place I can think of to leave Anna. I I think Vadim would just be, his conversations with Paulina would be geared towards making sure that this situation and what has happened with Oz has not, you know, driven her away, that she's, you know, that she's committed to staying here and the care of his daughter. Yeah, the the thing that happened in the plane, she's never experienced anything like it. Losing her memory for eight hours, she realizes something is is, is seriously amiss. But in that idea of I, you know, I've been teach, I, I had this little girl with me for over ten days. She, I developed a nice bond for her. Paulina, her own family is either gone or has they're they're just out of you know a part of her life because they're so distant. She doesn't have any children of her own to worry about at this point, so she's kind of connected to it and. You know, Allard, they'll make sure she keeps getting paid. I mean, that's not a problem. And Jack has money. I mean, so it's not an issue of employment. She wants to be there. She feels connected to this young lady. And actually, she, you know, if Jack's interested, like Shiva and Anna, Anna uh, and Anya could also join her for school. So that Jack's looking at me like that's not going to happen. We're not. We're no, not doing that, that. That's fine. Just, but you know, like, so she would have three young women to be guiding, being a you know a matron for. She's she sees that there's potential here, and she can even teach some of the, the kids from the from the tribe if Jack would like that, or if the tribe would like that to help them with English. 
you know, kind of get them a little bit more, you know, because they did that, right? These missions did it all the time. Well, you have a school marm here, you know, you know, you have a matron. Well, I think there's something else that's really important about Paulina to be serious um, is that she would provide something for the children that Jack couldn't provide, that his father couldn't provide, or that the help could provide. She will provide a mother type figure right. that these girls desperately need, not only to feel secure and happy, but to also show them this is this is how a woman behaves and this is how a lady behaves and all of those things that you learn growing up, you know. And instantaneously, Catherine Ross is typing away at her. I know, immediately for the keyboard. Immediately for the keyboard. How a woman should behave. How incredibly sexist. I didn't even go for the keyboard. I went straight for my mic. Like, (laughs) listen. Where's that mute button? You're going to hear my wrath, not, not view it. If the other ladies won't speak up, I'll speak up. We are three wildly unconventional women for 1931, and I think we turned out just fine. Amen. I don't know what your definition of just fine is, but I'm I'm cruising. We're you know? trucking. We're trucking. Listen, <laughs> those girls are not going to grow up to be normal. Okay. The fact that they can get out of bed in the morning—that's a triumph. That is a triumph. Amen, sister. So, just to put a button on something, Vodum would be requesting some stationery and envelopes from Jack. Mm-hmm. Just he's writing letters for Anna and for Paulina. Um, okay. Like in the event that he doesn't return, you know, that type of thing. And because uh, he, he feels like, you know, that, that from what he's heard the others talking about and such, we're kind of, you know, they're kind of like, you know, we're, 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 we're getting close. So he's feeling like this, you know, this sort of like last push is about to happen. We're going to get you home to your daughter, don't you? So, worry? well, hey, that, that's why soldiers in World War II had a letter in their breast pocket, right? <clears throat> so he's... uh he's writing uh, these letters, but he also would ask Jack if Jack, if he felt that Jack's father is a completely trustworthy person and a man of his word. Well, to be, to be completely honest, I, I would say that while my father wouldn't express it as such, his heart is in the right place. Uh, he's just from another time and era. Uh, but yes, I, I think that he would look out for the children if you if you asked him so. And well, well, uh, Jack, I, I I can be blunt with you, my friend. Um, I, I have uh, resources from my uh, organization, um, information that would uh, that would provide for my children quite handsomely. You know the 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 uh, the, the the things that uh, that are theirs. Should I not be returning, child? Was that too soon? You go sit down. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. What the hell? Time out. That was entirely too soon. It was entirely too soon. You put no, yourself. Don't give a thumbs up. There. You know what you did. It's like a Party man that puts somebody foul. down with a gun and then wipes it on him. Party too soon. Too soon? Oh my lord. Viewers, <laughs> there is another chair in my dad's office where he records. So he's gonna go sit in it for a while and think the about the bad what chair. He's, he's going to the bad chair. And we're gonna have fun. And we're just gonna. <laughs> And it's gonna be sunshine and rainbows. Nice. I give nice. I give Kate her goats from freaking Denmark. Bottom you know, as you were. You, you know, police officers are trained when they're uh, questioning family members of surviving from a violent crime that if they refer to them in the in the past or present tense. Yeah. Did you know that? Yep. Yeah. So yeah. Bottom's, keeper. Bottom's definitely innocent. Um, <laughs> Wow. So it is, it is information, should I not return, that I would want given to Paulina to, to help with Anna and for her future. 
Yes, I, I well, I, I do think that he might appreciate knowing that, of course, but just, I don't... Just given to him as this is private correspondence, not to be opened unless in the event of my death. And then yes, I, I think it would be that. fine. I, I, you know, I, he's he's an honorable chap. He is, Good. he's a bit acerbic, but he is an honorable chap. Well, you know, you hear of, you know, the honor of the Englishman and such, so I would yeah. only assume so. Depends on what you're referring to, of course. A gentleman's word, as they say, but he is a Westerner, so who knows what that is worth. A buck fifty. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Vodham and his skirting of the commie line. <laughs> nice. Nearly red. At the, at the hem, of, just works kind the of hem. pink. Yes. <laughs> like, a, like a dark mauve. Um, all right, so... <laughs> Jack, Jack, we did need to talk to your father and the girls anyway. So Paulina has, so Paulina has approached yourself and Lord Cavendish, and we'll start the conversation there. Jack, I, I don't want to do both voices, but Jack, the Lord Cavendish comes up to you and it's like, "So you're planning on going away?" Is what I'm hearing. Yes, yes, I'm afraid I must, Father, and uh, I would like a word if possible. Yes, well. Sad news about that Ruski's boy. He, uh, yes, he was He was a fine boy. It was very sad for all of us. But I think probably, if we looked at it in the pale light of the new day, probably the best outcome for the lad. It's made me think and rethink some positions I've previously had with you, Jack, regarding the waifs you brought back from, from Nepal. I'm sorry, are you referring to my daughters? I thought they were nieces. Well, they they are nieces at the time, but I will be adopting them formally when I return. So right now they're technically my wards, but uh, yes, I, I will let them refer to me as Uncle Jack. And if one day they choose to call me something else, then that's perfectly fine. But uh, father figure will be fine, yes. So the, this Paulina has asked me to, if she could establish a few rooms in the big house here for schooling for the three girls and potentially some of the members of the tribe who might like to see their children invested with a Western education. I've, uh, of course, allowed this. And I'm going, to have a, I'm going to have a telegraph sent to the missionary, Ashton Clark, and ask him to see about getting papers for you to, uh, to formalize your plans for these two young ladies. No child should have to, uh, should have to face this world maybe alone. That's probably... It's not cricket. Jack looks shocked and actually removes his pipe from his mouth, stares at him for just a second without saying anything, and then in very, very British form, sort of firms up and says, that's quite decent of you, Father, and I appreciate it. This is a kind gesture. I was speaking to Ms. Ross. She explained to me that you're very attached to these young girls, and that was a tragedy, the way that her, their parents were pulled into this mess. So there has to be a little bit of uh, compassion somewhere. It just took me a while to find it, Jack. Yes, well, I knew you'd get there eventually, Father. You are, at your heart, a good man. I will, uh, of course, get everything as prepared as I can without you being present, and then we can formalize everything and send it through to the uh, to our barristers, make sure it's as legal as can be from 
across the world. I, I do have one request. Uh, you have been quite kind and generous, both with your home and uh, the caring, uh, potential caring for these individuals and also finding a place for Paulina and and Vadim's daughter. But I would ask this one simple thing that I think would make a huge difference in their lives. And I know that the girls have enjoyed it immensely and I'd be really worried if it disappeared. I think they just love your salty nature. And and I think they want their crazy grandfather to stay crazy, if you understand my meaning. I'm not sure I do. What, what, what are you saying? I'm saying be yourself. Wow. Too old to change much, but uh, an old lion knows when he's no longer perhaps the mating partner of all the young ones. He senses his time. I'm uh, realizing that this is going to become your Kubawazi. And there's only so long I can stand in the way of that track. Well, it'll be your Kubawazi until the day you're part of the Earth, Father. And then we'll, we'll deal with the other when it happens. But for no. now, I see myself as a servant of this land to protect it for our family and for the Mi'ikanda, and to preserve it as you've preserved it since you came here. Yes, well, uh, <clears throat> let's, not, uh, let's not act like mewling babes. Think no, that's... and you're, you are an old bastard, but I am appreciative. So he walks off, takes himself out onto the veranda, kind of, you know, tells Paulina that whatever she needs to get the school set up, the, you know, they'll, they'll order some desks to be built or made or take longer, you know, tables they could brought it, bring up. They're going to use several of the rooms in the back part of the house where the kids can come in and out. Uh, they're going to be on the second floor. They'll have the the view of the, the high pat uh, porch that runs around the whole length of the second tier of the house. They'll be able to open up there for windows and kind of get air and look over the pavilions that are being built. So yeah, he's, he's see Vadim losing his son and seeing how the team has reacted and how, you know, the boy came in here, obviously, with some sort of a malady or, uh, you know, an illness. And then to have him go suddenly like that and not understand it. And yet he sees Vadim suffering, a, you know, a gentleman who's quietly go trying to go through this as best as he can with a young daughter. And then a matron, you know, the school marm, rather, who's everybody's been affected by this. And, you know, he can see how it's affected Catherine and Ella and Faye. And it's just started to change his a, a change of heart that, you know children pass but there's the practical side that you know young young lions die you know they don't not every child that's born lives but then they start to grow and they get you know they become a part of the life and not that you don't not that you don't struggle with a, a young child dying or a, a stillborn baby being born but when but there's also a difference there's different you know the griefs are, are intense no matter how this happens and he's seeing that grief and recognizing that his age is you know his time is nearing and he can either leave this place full of life or leave it devoid and not care. So that situation has opened up his heart a little bit. Very nice. All right. Okay, gang. So the the information that Jack is able to get from a few phone calls uh, on the wireless, because he has to use a wireless. I don't think Kubawazi itself has an actual phone line. Uh, it would be wireless communication Correct. to uh, Mombasa is that there is a, a boat leaving uh, in a week 
uh, it is a call it a two star liner. Uh, about 25 years old, uh, so she's steam powered. Uh, it's known as the Drina. It is heading out to Australia, which is your locale. You would have to be probably packed up within two to three days, and then it would be another three days for the trip. You'd be there plenty of time to board. They are willing to take on uh, passengers. That's about as all you've been able to put together from an agent in Mombasa, Jack, is that they do have they have several berths available. Uh, she's not super fast, but she's made the trip mel- multiple times. You know, the, the captain's a good man, and uh, but it's not – we're not talking about you know a beautiful dining room and a harpsichord. Right. We're talking about a functional steamer that has berths for passengers that are in need to get to Australia. Now, is it going to go? It's not going to go straight to Australia, right? It's probably going to have to go to the, through the Gulf of Oman or whatever, or go to India or Saudi Arabia or something. So let like me that show you. I can show the players. And sc- so what you, uh, Jack? What your the agent will tell you? Oh, flip! Uh, is that this is the way it's going to? You know, the the trip for them is a direct. They do a lot. They put a lot of coal on board and they drag. This is. So that's how it would look to the trip, Jack. It's going to be right from the from Kenya and it's going to go straight across the Indian Ocean. And that is listeners. Again, uh, if you're familiar with a flat map, like a global style map, that's flat. Australia appears to be directly under Africa. Cancel that. That's not actually accurate. It's sort of way off to the to the east and down. So it's sixty five hundred and eighty miles from Mombasa to the port uh, in the northern part of Australia, which would be um, the capital, essentially, Sydney. Essentially, twice as wide as the United States of America. Yeah, twice as wide. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. the that freaking continent is full of giant spiders, kangaroos, and various other horrors. And it's right. bigger. The place that's trying to kill you just by standing on it. Just by standing in its pre- on the ground, it's trying to automatically kill you. No so, offense to Aussies if you are an Australian listener. I apologize. We have a few. That- oh, we do. Okay. Well, yep. I'm sorry to say that Australia, I'm not going because you guys check for snakes and spiders in your hotel rooms. Uh-uh. Not happening. We yeah, love well, you so much. We appreciate yeah, I think, you. I think I prefer I'm them terrified checking, of where you checking. live. Terrifying. The fact that they have to do that in their own home, like I know in freaking rural New Jersey, yes, there are garter snakes, but I don't worry about them being in my house. Well, I think in all fairness that the majority of deadly snakes in the world are found in Australia. The largest number. Yeah, the biggest of which being I think the brown snake. Thank you, Australian listeners. Yeah, so we we've we uh, actually the guy who won our first contest on who's the furthest away listening to the show was in Australia. That's awesome. So, oh, totally awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Good yeah. on you, Bruce. Good on you, Bruce. Very nice. Was his name Bruce? No. no it's, a no, it's, just, it's, just, it's oh. just a common Australian name. Yeah. Hey, call me Bruce. So that's, that's what we have as far as the itinerary uh, of available boats. Now, you could wait longer and possibly find something a little bit more flash, but – they're telling you, Jack, that right now it's hurricane season. There is obviously transport going all the time. Hurricane season in the Indian Ocean runs from mid-November through to March. So this is sort of their and, – and it's – he's like, look, this captain is very good at the weather. He, he knows what's going on. But as far as your better liners that are cruising, you're probably looking at sometime in you know May before they really start sending out the – the luxury type ships. They're not always they're mm. cruising in other parts of the Asia of the Asia, you know, the Asian side. They're they're moving further to the other to the east. 
they won't be heading back into this area for the and there's and they're limited. I mean, Kenya is a destination, but it's not that big of a destination. We're not talking about like the port of Cairo. You know, Mombasa is still it's a, it's a town, it's a port city, but it doesn't even compare in in, in size or population. Yeah, if I'm cool. taken I, I out by a hurricane, I'm going to be pissed. Good, thank you, Faith. If I get taken out by a hurricane, I'm going to be pissed. I'm going to be really pissed. <laughs> right. Like, I'm not incredibly. flying the plane, by the way. There's no way you could fly a plane to here. Not that. Not like that. We're taking a giant sea voyage. Yeah, you're taking a sea voyage. Oh god. Twenty-two days <laughs> across six thousand miles of open water. Uh, what could go wrong? Gertrude Dobbs, it's a coming lot. back. Gertrude Dobbs, take two. Sadly, there is no audio of the Gertrude Dobbs adventure. That we is talk true. about it so much. I wish we no. had recorded it, but we were babies back oh, then. Katrina. She's a beautiful ship, if a little rusty. <laughs> These are the last days of Kubawazi. So you've got basically 72 hours. Is there anything that anybody wants to do? Any telegrams we want to send in Mubasa? Anything that we, before we actually get to the Drina, board her and make our way towards Australia? And the next part of the adventure. So, um, you know, this is this is the time to role play that stuff out. Like I said, Anna, Anna knows why you're leaving. Pauline is here. The school's been open. Like Shiva and Anya, Jack, they kind of, they're understanding what's going on that, you know, you need to go for a short period of time. Anybody have anything else they want to do while they're here? Ella? Uh, I have two things, but I want to give an idea to Catherine if she's not raising her hand for this very thing. Okay, but so like Catherine, go ahead. Probably during the lunch period at some point. Do we do we eat hyena here? I don't know. What? What I'm, the hell? It's a I'm dog. Just, Good. It's a predatorial vermin dog of Africa, I was told. So I don't know. But the point is, I there's a, go- there's a very famous restaurant in uh, in uh, Nairobi, Kenya called The Carnivore, where they literally serve every type of meat of wild animal that's from Africa. Uh-huh. big cooking pit in the middle of it including hyena word oh nice right. the fact no, that you had you that go. in your back pocket huh. interesting scott <laughs> a little concerning but that's all right we're just gonna I, I, know right somebody, I know somebody that's eaten there not personally i was gonna say do you gold belly that in do you <laughs> <laughs> my dad my dad spent quite a bit of time in kenya so did he <laughs> yes he did neat very cool well nairobi gotcha so Okay, she'd approach Catherine during one of the meals and go, Darling, I have a, th- I have a theory. Okay. Yes. Now, I do not understand uh, our dear Aveline's network of Gustavs, but are we still on good terms with them? I mean, I guess. One got kind of murdered in Portugal in, in front of Bottom and his kids. Uh, yes, terrible tragedy. Listen. I was wondering if perhaps either your connections at the Cobalt Club or the Gustavs, we could perhaps scope out what we're getting into down in Australia, because my powers, well, obviously, I cannot predict the future, so I was just thinking that perhaps it might be a good idea to get some interesting information about where we're porting, the object in question, that sort of thing. And, you know, you are the one with all the loot, the booty from Aveline's sudden and unfortunate passing connections to the cobalt club yes and well i thought she gave you the gustav names as well but that might be my mistake no 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 no. um been a little 
<clears throat> remiss to call upon them uh, because it was in in our company that Mr. Allard was so brutally and horribly ripped from the plane. <laughs> brutally and horribly uh, ripped from the plane. Yes, well, if you have to explain that before asking for the favor, I'm sure they'll be happy to know that he's gone. Yeah, um, what, hey, what? real fast, did we um, report that he, uh, you know... <laughs> no, we definitely did not. We yeah. might get in this trouble is, if yeah, we don't this is a, say Yeah, this is a bigger problem now. Well, I'm realizing. Okay. Good. A short I... wireless call wouldn't be a bad idea. Thank you, Ella. Exactly, that's why I'm saying perhaps we should maybe phone... Why did no one think of this before? <laughs> well, it's I'm not. Sorry. It's we were all traumatized. <laughs> Hello, chaps. Be. That Ellard fellow—he's not returning. Just to let you know. <laughs> it can't Ripped just be on the me. plane untimely and unjust. You're the one with the membership. They won't talk to me, and they—well, she's American. The what the hell? She's American too. What's wrong with you? She has the, the membership card. That gives her free pass. It doesn't matter if I have the membership. I'm not the only one who was on the plane who could oh have remembered God. that we should have reported this. Okay, well, but I you mean, didn't. Hey, none of us remember that shit. <laughs> listen, there's no time like the present. Am I right? Because it's only going to get worse the more that we put it off. I so maybe had plans for this afternoon that are going to be rudely interrupted. Fine, you I know what, make Sweet a phone Pete? Call. We can do, I'll go with you, I'll go with you for the phone call, and then we can go do your plans, whatever they were. You're gonna think my plan is stupid. She's saying this just to Faye now, privately. You're gonna think it's stupid. I don't think that you're stupid at all. We've been through a lot. What the hell are you gonna do? I'm making more pamphlets. (laughs) Jesus Christ, woman. About what? How not to drown. Are you kidding me? How not to drown? five Ds of drowning. Stay (laughs) off the water. Don't breathe water. Don't yeah. right. Don't jump in. Don't swallow water. Don't breathe water. Don't drink Doggy salt paddle water. like your life depends on. It. All right, so you're gonna you reach out to the Cobalt Club. That conversation goes well, not not great. No. You know what I mean? That doesn't go great. Uh, who are you trying to? Uh, who are you reporting it to? Lon- the London chapter or the uh, the the United States, New York? Well, he was English. New York. Oh, he was New York, American. Right? Yeah. American. He was so I, I know the people in the. She got you all your stuff. She got me my stuff. She was in England. Her name was. No, the woman who got you all your stuff was in New York before you flew over. The medical bags and all the I'm, clothes. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm confusing the two branches. I'm sorry. You. That's okay. Everything for you was out of New York. Okay. That but it up. you can reach out to England. I just didn't know which one you no. wanted to do. I mean, I don't really know anybody out there. Okay. Um, let's just. I'm gonna call my my gal, whose name is Agnes. Agnes. Excellent. Crawford. That's right. And I'm just gonna explain that we've been through some terrible amnesia. So uh, t- let's talk to the people that actually know a, a little bit more history of, of 1930s. Scott, um, v- Joel, right? why am I remembering something where wireless communications could piggyback to get on a transatlantic line? Is that right? 
Well, the transatlantic line was actually a cable run cable. from right. Right, right. the ocean, a cable, and then from also from America to England, and I believe yep. it went up to Canada and then over. And it, was already, over. it was already late in the 30s. It was, yeah, absolutely. yeah, yeah. And Can- it was one from there, from England to uh, Europe. So essentially, everything is connected through a wire. Well, no, no, no. Shortwave is shortwave. That's a different. Right. Yeah, shortwave is also short distance. Remember, shortwave doesn't go long distance. Yeah, sh- yeah. I mean, that's why it's called miles, shortwave. Right? No, it's co- uh, that's not why it's called shortwave, right? It's called shortwave because of the size well, of the, the wave is beams. Right, but it, right, a short wave yeah, would travel wave less would travel less distance than a long wave. Okay, so I guess what my question is: this conversation with. Allard and New York may have to wait to Mombasa or, yeah, or yeah. be a telegraph. Have to be on the landline. Yeah, it'd have to be on the landline. Which I'm not sure there was a landline in through Africa, but if they could get – like you could relay certain calls. I know that. Yeah. But I wasn't sure. I thought I remembered something where shortwave operators could piggyback messages, like get messages broadcast. Uh, yeah, I think – yeah, yeah. Sorry. So to that point, yes. You would have antennas every so often. So – and a shortwave operator, which was actually a job at that point, you could bounce from, let's say, Kenya up the line through Africa over right, different antennas, and they would just pass the signal on. Exactly. So hence the shortwave, rather than a wave that would go the full distance. Like, okay. like Radar would, O'Reilly and MASH reaching the states right. from Korea. They, exactly. And that's why, like, and even a landline, you would say, I need to place a call to like, you know, to this country and it would take hours and they'd say, they would call you, they, they would go, they, sir, your line is ready. Yeah, yeah. They'd call you back Yeah, or yeah. take okay. however long it's going to take. Yeah. Right. All right. right. So Catherine, we're just going to say that for the, for the sake of getting, finishing this episode for tonight, this is where we'll end it. You're able to get a hold of Agnes. Um, the, the time difference is, you know, you're, you're up and it's like 10 PM at night and over there it's like, you know, 6 AM in the morning. Uh, or 7 a.m. So let, let's call it midnight you, 8 a.m. them, whatever it is, because it's got to be a 12 to 14 hour difference, I'm sure. Uh, it's massive. But the the situation is, is that with the help of various shortwave operators and pinging signals and everything, you're able to finally get a line that has a hell of a delay on it, but you're able to get a line on it for Agnes. And, you know, she's she's able to, to hear you finally speaking. And you just, you know, that's... Hello? Hello, uh, Agnes. This is um, Miss Catherine Ross. Over. <laughs> over. You don't have to worry about all the overs, but oh. that's fine. If you you can, we'll we'll do the overs. No, we don't have to. It's just more <laughs> it's, of to show how awkward she is. Yes, Miss Ross. Uh, good to hear from you. Where are you? We are in um, Kenya, uh, Miss Crawford. The, oh, uh, excellent. Uh, any, uh, have you heard from Mr. Allen at all? Um, lost touch with him, said his last flight plan was, was back with you. Um, Rome was the last one he logged and unfortunately he's, hasn't been heard or seen from. Well, Agnes, speak of the devil. That's the reason why I'm calling. There was, um, bit of a tragedy. The plane that Mr. Allard was flying it um it went down. A bit of a tragedy? That's how you describe it? What do you want me to say? It's fine, you're doing great. Went down? Um please explain. We were flying 
from where were we flying from? Rome to Kenya. <laughs> we were flying from Rome to Kenya, and we crashed somewhere over the African desert. And Mr. Allard, he's um, he's gone, Miss. I'm I'm so sorry. I understand, Miss Ross. Thank you for alerting us. I I will, uh, I will make sure to pass that information on to the members of the club and uh, start an investigation over Africa, the desert. You say? Yes, near near a dig site, I think. Well, you you are all right. Was there anyone else with you? Um, my companions. Uh, Miss Paulina, who I believe is an associate of the of the club, um, she is well. She is hale and hearty. One of um one of our companions' children suffered some injuries in the flight as well. It terrible business, really. Do you have his body, Miss Ross? It, was he is he recoverable? Is he with you? I, I don't have it. We we were all very banged up and the people that found us didn't mention him so you're not sure he's dead there was quite a bit of um unpleasantness at the scene miss i i but i cannot confirm that i've physically seen him spot of bother with that just unfortunately you understand legality and all Right. Thank you for, thank you for reaching out, Miss Ross. This, I'm, I'm, I speak. I'm sure for Mister Allen when I say I'm, I'm sure he would be happy to know that at least all of you made it through. That's incredibly kind, and I'm sorry to, um, have to be the bearer of this bad news. I feel like I'm always calling you when I need something or I need to say something terrible. That's not right. I must say that it's starting to raise the hackles on my. On the back of my neck when I hear your name. Understandable completely. I, I'm signing off. Thank you, Miss Ross. I, Please, if there's anything we can do, or if you hear of anything regarding Mr. Allard's remains, pl- please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, of course. Um, you you won't be hearing from me for for a while. I, I, I apologize for, for all of the trouble. Stay safe, Miss Ross. You too. Thank you. And, Thank you. She, and that's where we'll end it for tonight. Okay, everyone, that's uh, we're heading over to Mombasa and the next time we get together. Uh, we hope that you appreciated this little look inside the characters themselves as they prepare to leave Kupawazi. Um, some of them leaving loved ones behind, others preparing for uh, the, the final stages of what has been a two-year jaunt for us as li- as listeners and performers, but almost closing in on 10 months for the players. So it's been a whirlwind. Uh, We thank you for listening. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, do all that stuff. And uh, if you'd like to support us, you can check out our Patreon. But we appreciate everything. Players, great job. Um, And we'll see each other next time. From uh, all of us here at the college, this is Raz signing off. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, Keeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Cthulhu in Cairo. You can like, share, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The music you're listening to is Return of the Mummy by the great Kevin McLeod. Join us next time to see where our intrepid explorers find themselves next.